Are you rolling on that? Um, yeah, of course I'm rolling. I haven't slated yet, though. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> that should be the slate. Woohoo! Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Inspector TJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I really like, uh, oh my God, how, how do I complete a joke when I can't remember his name? Not Don Knotts. Who the hell was... Oh, uh, um, get, get smart, smart, right? Yeah. yeah. His name was Get Smart. <laughs> <laughs> that one guy, Get Smart. Don Adams. <laughs> Don Adams. See, I was close with Don now. Yeah. Although yeah. Don Adams never played a lechery neighbor on Three's Company. No. Um, Don no. Adams was great. Tennessee Tuxedo, man. Did you ever get into him? Him and Chumley? T- yes, Tennessee Tuxedo. That's an old Channel 32 morning cartoon. Yeah, part of the underdog and Savoir Fair and yes. Klondike Cat and all that. <laughs> what would you do for a Klondike Cat? <laughs> for the chocolate coated ice cream loaded big and thick, no room for snakes. What would you do for a Klondike Cat? Yeah, Don Adams was great. He was really funny, and he's in a very little-known syndicated-only show from the mid-'80s called Check It Out, where he played the manager of a supermarket. Really? And I want to say it was on in the mornings on, on Channel 32, but like mid-late-'80s, it was a syndicated show called Check It Out, and the, and the theme <laughs> song, I'll never forget, in his voice, he goes, Don't just stand there. Check it out. <laughs> Just stand there. Man, I wish I had seen that. I wish I had seen that. It's right up your alley. It's a total oh, yeah. Tony show. <laughs> I, after our last episode, I don't know when this is going to air. After our last episode, I said to Carrie, she's like, oh, how was it? I was like, oh, my God, Tony collected TV guides, too. <laughs> Do you believe? And she's like, are you in love? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's a real journey with me and Tony. Cheers and jeers. <laughs> yes. Best part. Che- think of cheers and jeers in 2021 to be so mean spirited. Oh, yeah. Everybody would be getting jeered. There'd be no cheers. No, I take that back. People cheer people now. It's just different. <laughs> people cheer people. So how can it be? I'm in two different keys. You and I should cheer along so awfully. <laughs> Depeche Mode. Never into that band. I just started listening to their early stuff because I was curious and I, I liked I made a four song playlist for myself. So what you're saying is you're catching up with Depeche Mode. <laughs> yeah. That was a greatest hits album, I think. <laughs> That's what in 1987 to impress the girls at camp, you had to know. I want somebody to share, share the rest of my life. Something about innermost, that one, yeah. that kind of emo ballad. Yeah, I remember I learned Richard Marks, uh, what's that? If, if Something my way, what's, what's that song? That one. Yeah. He's a Chicago guy. Right there. And not only is he a yeah. Chicago, and he's a super far left, like right wing yeah. troll uh, instigator. It's very fun to follow him on Twitter. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I learned the one note version of melody on a Casio SK1 and <laughs> tried to impress my best friend at the time. Did it work? Who I, who I was in love with. No, it backfired. <laughs> As it usually did. I was there too. Okay, all things must pass. 
50th box set. But before we get to that, did want to say thanks to all the people writing in and uh, sending us love. Carl in Maine, Adam from Parts Unknown, another second generation Beatles fan. And then Dave in Detroit had some cool information that he passed along. We were talking about uh, that Carl Perkins reference that John throws into I Found Out that we heard on the Plastic Ono reissue earlier this year. Well, that must be my So Dave clued us in that Gone, Gone, Gone is actually Carl Perkins referencing another old song, one called It Must Be Jelly, because jam don't shake like that. Yeah, what an, I never knew that. That was awesome to learn. Thank you for that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Two versions, one from the late 30s by Frankie Jackson. It must be jelly, because you know jam don't shake. It must be jelly, because you know jam don't shake. Yes, yes, she's got what it takes. J-A-X-O-N, like Zaxxon. I know that's your favorite 80s arcade game, TJ. <laughs> Zaxxon. Zaxxon. <laughs> I never played Zaxxon. I, no? I don't think I remember it. It was kind of 3D. You were on a spaceship and you traveled in like a diagonal kind of a way. And you, it was, you had to use depth perception. You had, you had to use 3D sensibilities in a 2D world. <laughs> that reminds me of the Journey video game where yes. they were in outer space and had to collect their own instruments. And the music yeah. was, I don't know if you remember, but I swear to God it was. <laughs> yeah, and it was like a rip off of Space Invaders, basically. It was, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for that, Dave. Thank you for that info. And uh, yeah, send us your spam. <laughs> send us your spam. Uh, Untitled Beatles podcast. We're out there on the Facebook and the like and subscribe, if you will. Yeah. Tony does this for the fans. I do it for art. <laughs> yeah, I'm commerce. You're <laughs> art. I'm trying to get the numbers up. <laughs> I'm wearing a suit. You look like Nick from Family Ties. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> Scott Valentine. I'm, I'm totally Scott Valentine. What? Scott, Scott Valentine's like, all right, we need a random dumb character. <laughs> Every show have one. Um, yeah, I, you are dressed like the lawyers in the boardroom in Broad Street, and I'm dressed like Hawaiian shirt Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, shall we do it? Let's get into it. All Things Must Pass, 50th anniversary box, released on the 51st anniversary. Obviously because of our good friend COVID, who's still around. Hi, COVID. Yeah. Be careful out there. So you can get it in a bunch of versions, right? You can get just the, the new remixed 2020 mixes, the three LPs. You can get the five CDs, the eight LPs, or the three eight tracks, which cut the songs off halfway through. 
It's pretty good. They're they're half speed mastered eight tracks. However, I'm holding <laughs> I'm holding in my hand the original eight track tape two of All Things Must Pass, Tony, and they had the nerve to split out of the blue on program one and continued on program two. <laughs> eight tracks weren't long enough to handle this box set. <laughs> I was wondering how they would handle this one. Yeah, you have a whole bunch of varieties. So I went with the eight LP version. I went to my local record store, Freakbeat Records in Sherman Oaks. I was the guy who grabbed the eight LP set out there, San Fernando Valley. <laughs> that was you. Every record <laughs> store is praying for someone like us. <laughs> yeah, we got rid of that. I mean, no, did did I get the, I will say Freakbeat Records was like, I don't have the one with the gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> right, the $1,000 edition. If I were a yeah. millionaire, I love George. I love this album. I'm not buying the wooden crate with the gnomes. Where do you no. put it? What do you do with it? Yeah. Consult your nearest well-off boomer about the, uh, they called it a Victorian ale chest. <laughs> the Uber Deluxe Victorian ale chest. Always look for a woman gnomes. with one of those, Tony. <laughs> 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 Benny Hill over here. <laughs> uh, Yakety Zaxxon. So 70 tracks. Uh, you get outtakes, you get jams. There's 47 demos. It's four hours and 24 minutes. Uh, if you get one of the deluxe versions, you get a 60-page scrapbook, which was curated by Olivia. There's a poster in there, and then the LP jackets have jackets. So they're kind of doing a Steve Bannon thing there with the two shirts. You, you've got a jacket Gross. for your jacket. Buzz that, Casey. <laughs> Buzz the Steve Bannon reference. <laughs> Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Let's them call them sleeves that go into jackets. How about that? But your LPs are 180 grams and they're ultra protected. Though mine has a scratch already. I have a scratch on the fade out of Isn't It a Pity version one. Well, Boo! Because you were mixing it for the clubs. <laughs> I was. I was. I do secret gigs. <laughs> I'm part of the problem. You're like Paul, you're my secret friend. Why, <laughs> oh, why, nice. why didn't Rick Rubin talk about that one? <laughs> <laughs> I want to go on a limb and say something here. I own this record more than any other Beatles record. I have more pressings. Uh, cue the Steely Dan if you want to, but I have the original <laughs> Apple LP. I have the 1983 Rainbow Edition. I have the early 90s LP issue produced by uh, Specialty Records is the one through Capital where they found an old stock of labels. So that was pretty cool, like the, the last vinyl pressing. I have the 2010 Record Store Day vinyl. I now have this new box. I didn't get the 2017. I have the 87 CD. I have the 01 CD. I have the 2014 remaster. I've got it on cassette. I've got it on 8-track. That's impressive, man. The simplicity, the box is two things. If for the record especially, the outer box has always, whatever pressing, been simple and elegant at the same time. You know this record's important. The way it's bound, holding this record. There's apparently a pressing maybe from Australia, Tony, that isn't the box, but it's like a trifold album cover. Oh, I'd love to see like, that. But Like an accordion kind of a thing? Yeah, like like an accordion. <laughs> like, they, like they did for, uh, I think, the anthology albums. I can't remember. <laughs> The 
this album I love, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say one thing. If you like this album, if you love this album, however you buy it, it is never sounded better this is the way the album has to be heard from this point going forward it's not revisionist history this and the Derek and the dominoes layla album which is directly tied to this are two yeah. of the worst originally mixed records in rock history when it came to transferring things to cd even the 2014 remaster of all things must pass which is really nice this blows that out of the water tony i compared all four cd issues track by track and every <laughs> yes this, and this is why there's gonna be a divorce lawyer called <laughs> it's our anniversary like but carrie the the 87 pressing what's so weird <laughs> Yeah, well, what's well? I guess the original sounds worse to your ears, the Apple one or like the '87 or. Well, I didn't re-listen to all the vinyl because there wasn't that much of a difference. But I did, at least in my opinion, the only noticeable difference was the one box set where everything's just mixed so much hotter, and you can hear them the vinyl too. But I did the four CDs, the '87 CD. Is it? It sounds like it was recorded from a cassette submaster on with with Dolby NR press. Yeah, it's low, it's bassy, and it's the one everyone heard until twenty eleven. Excuse me, twenty oh one. Yeah, when right before George's death, he supervised a remaster, not a remix, like he kind of talked about wanting, but he supervised a remaster for the thirtieth anniversary, and that's the one I listened to most until the twenty fourteen one came out. And in retrospect, oh my God, that 30th anniversary one, Tony, is so loud. The 2001 George Harrison All Things Must Pass is the equivalent of Aerosmith's pump. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, oh, this sounds like a CD from the 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah. it's all people knew for 13, 14 years. The remaster, like I said, on from 2014 is lovely. But this is by far, it's the way it's got to be heard. Any other version of this, you're not getting the full experience of this album. It, Of all the Beatles, this is the last thing I'll say, and then I will shut up for, we'll put a two-minute TJ shut-up timer on. <laughs> uh, with all the Beatles box sets, Pepper, Abbey Road, the White Album. White Album has probably been my favorite. This is the greatest deluxe Beatle-related set that's ever been released. Uh, nothing will ever top this. Whoa, nothing. Yeah, nothing. Unless the Get Back box set, which uh, was leaked, I saw on the Beatle Fan Facebook page, maybe out in um, uh, October. Yeah. But unless that, you know, takes the cake for now, this one's in first place. Yeah, I agree. This is a great package. I am still enamored with it. I kind of re-fell in love with this record. It's become one of my more favorite Beatle-related records. Yeah, I really like this package. I opted for the 8LP version. You did as well, right? I did uh, two days before we recorded this. I got the CD box set, the five disc, and the difference, Tony, this is the CD booklet. All the same information, but it almost feels like it's nicely done, but it feels like a brochure. The LP booklet is a book. The yeah. LP, it's, it's, a, it's a piece of artwork. So you have to get the LP version is what I'm saying. The 8 LP. It's I, I wavered on it because I'm like, do I need it? I got a kid. Then I'm like, kid can work. And I went and got the uh, 8 LP one. It's five. Sell some lemonade. Uh, you're busy. Do it after soccer. So, so yeah. Yeah. If you're in the Chicagoland area, look look for a Beatles lemonade stand. That'll really help the, the Untitled Beatles podcast out. That's right. That's how we're fun. We're great business people. <laughs> Uh, 
I love the sound on this record. According to Danny, George's son, the goal was not to rewrite history, but to update the sound with modern technology. And I feel like that's what happened, Tony. And we should mention this is going to be a, a two-parter. Mm. We're going to spend mm-hmm. this episode um, talking about video games and the uh, the main <laughs> album. <laughs> We're going to talk about the di- okay, let's go. Turbo versus pole position. Whose side are you on? Pole position. Uh, Dig Dug versus uh, the one, the other one that looked like Dig Dug. <laughs> Did you ever watch the cartoon version of Cubert? All right, let's save this for another time. Cubert, the amazing cube. The second episode, we're going to get into all the incredible archival and bonus material. One album of which has been bootlegged forever. The rest of it, to my ears, were pretty new. Again, yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be a Harrison bootleg connoisseur, but I have a, enough to know some of that stuff on like that party disc, especially. Yeah, the party disc. Took my breath away. Yeah. And and you think, how can it get better? This is wonderful. And then you get the day two demos and the party disc comes on and you're like, oh, my goodness. So uh, but there are a couple things we're going to get to about the entirety of the set. I mentioned the 2001 edition, Tony. You know what? There's actually, as sprawling as this is, some things missing. The bonus tracks from 2001 were actually tacked onto disc one of the 2014 CD reissue as well. So they were pretty recent. They're nowhere to be found here. You can't find My Sweet Lord 2000, which Danny acknowledges Sam Brown, who sang on it. Danny acknowledges it in the book. So it's referred to, but not on here. You don't get I Live For You, the finished version with the overdubs from 2000. So if this is your first time hearing the CD, you heard that one right after Run of the Mill, which is kind of strange. You don't get Let It Down, where George overdubbed significant organ and guitar for the 30th. And you don't get the instrumental What Is Life with that kind of crazy horn section. Yeah. uh, Crazier than the finished release. There's also, I don't know if it's from the session, but on a lot of the bootlegs of that era is this thing called Pete Drake's Talking Steel Guitar. Mm-hmm. That just Pete kind of doing like uh, that almost vocoder stuff where he's doing Danny Boy through the guitar. And I don't know if it's directly from here, but because it's been part of other boots from this era, I'm surprised it's not here. But otherwise, this is exhaustive and beautiful. And it is, as I referred to earlier, I think the best so far. It's like a piece of art. I look at it longingly on my shelf. I put it on my shelf first because I made room for it, then unpacked it, played all the vinyl. And it's the one of the best purchases I've ever made, Tony. Should we do the, the main album? Anything else you want to say about the package as a whole? I would definitely spring for the extra package where you get the scrapbook, the 12 by 12 inch scrapbook. That's with the LP version. I really think that's worth it. I would have liked to have heard some outtakes from I Remember Jeep, but, you know, they didn't include those either. So (laughs) and and only one. It's Johnny's birthday. Where's the elements mix? (laughs) 
Yeah. Overall, uh, some of my favorite stuff were the day one demos, a lot of which I hadn't heard before. Those are the demos with Ringo and Klaus. Uh, I had heard the day two demos where it's just George and a guitar, uh, mostly, other than the uh, mysterious bass player who <laughs> is learning wah-wah on the fly. <laughs> and I know how sweet life can be So I get myself is always noodling after a track he hasn't played on i just assume it's klaus maybe it's not but yeah we don't know because wouldn't why yeah why wouldn't klaus play on the other ones too maybe i guess he did so the day before i don't know but anyway the bass is just on wah wah and then it's gone but yeah i love this book i love this book a lot there's this picture that's just the index of all the songs that he's gonna do most of them typewritten and then a lot of them hand scrawled on the bottom yeah you see that not guilty was on there but scratched out yeah Awaiting for you all was how that, that song was called for a while. It's kind of four is replaced by on on a lot of the tape boxes and stuff. Uh, you see Pete Drake's name, uh, pedal steel player. Uh, you see his name next to I live for you and behind that locked door. Other songs breaking. I get tired. Son of Taxman, five year slog. And then try some buy some, which he did on the next record, Living in the Material World. But yeah, he had he had these other songs, some of which I don't I don't know. I have not heard I have not heard any of those other ones. Yeah, other than try some buy some, I hadn't either. It's cool to see that list. So, and uh, all those songs he considered with all the other songs he wrote. I mean, a few songs that we'll get into on the demo disc, you know, came out on later 70s albums. So he did yes. revisit some of these. And of course, Not Guilty spanned what? Uh, an eight-year journey to get onto. By the way, journey. <laughs> Watch out, Wait, Steve what? Perry. That, <laughs> that Martian is going <laughs> to steal your guitar licks. That's what happened uh, to, um, to Steve Perry. And then they had a, a guy from the Philippines who speaks no English but sings like Steve Perry come in. Oh, and yeah. now he tours with Journey and he's great. He just, they played Lollapalooza. I turned Lollapalooza on for two minutes. And when I turned it on, it was that guy singing Journey songs. <laughs> well, you know, and when I think I, I'm a modern rock guy, like I love I love new rock. And what I would say is nothing says cutting edge new rock like Journey and Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Lollapalooza <laughs> during COVID, you morons. <laughs> you got a lot of great pictures. There's some stuff you've seen these pictures before. A lot of them were used in the uh, Living in the Material World, the uh, Scorsese documentary. Um, but it's nice to actually have them to hold in a book instead of something on a TV screen or whatever. You know, maybe that's generational. We like tangible things. We like holding the things. I loved going through this record with the lyric sheet that's printed on the back, you know, like they did the original time, the first time around. I love doing that again. This is like 
That was new for me because I actually never had this on vinyl. This is my first vinyl purchase. So that's wow. me. Yeah, man. Yeah, so I know. That's, no, that's not judgment. That's wonderful. Like, I'm jealous that your first time hearing this on vinyl is this set. There's a certain gift because now go back and pick up like a halfway. I mean, you can find like an orange capital one for, you know, $60 because the three records sure. set if it's in good shape and the box in good shape. It's not cheap. But if you find one for a decent price, compare the difference. Not just for volume levels, but uh, you mentioned earlier, and I, I want to get to this, the expectation that this album might be more, quote unquote, despectorized, and it's not. But what I love is that they've made logical sense out of the specterization of the songs. I feel like the beauty exists without the density. It's It almost makes the one previous mix of this sound like mono, even though it's obviously <laughs> not, but... Uh, what I kept being so enthralled by is how the instrumentation was separated so beautifully. And I thought it accentuated the specterization versus diminishing it. Yeah. And he's a murderer. So we want to get that out too. We, we don't endorse that dude. Oh yeah. 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 It's so weird. I actually watched fast times at Ridgemont high last night on topic, off topic. And the woman that he murdered is in that. She plays like the, the science teacher's, you know, hot wife or whatever. And then there's also a scene, a Christmas scene where they're using the Phil Spector Christmas record as the background music. So that's some eerie weirdness. Uh, you know what else is eerie? Do you know what year that movie came out? <laughs> I do. <laughs> It's of 82. You dick. <laughs> what a great fucking song. It is. Yeah. I, I, I try to shut my eyes, but I can't get it out of my sight. What a great song. Apple recording artist, Jackson Brown. <laughs> Wasn't he signed to Apple, right? Uh, James Taylor was, not oh, Jackson Brown. fuck me. <laughs> it was close. <laughs> Get those fuckers mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> You're not showering the people with love, Tony. Yeah, that's for sure. Oops. Yes, I was expecting a little more despectorization, but. When I was listening to it in the cans, here's how I listen to it. You listen to this album in the toilet? Nice job, dude. <laughs> no, man. No. No, man. It's what we pros call our earbuds. Uh, oh, right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I get up early sometimes and the record store didn't open out here till noon. So I listened to it streaming in my earbuds was the first listen. And I noticed a lot of stereo separation, you know, and so Spectre was also like bring, you know, Mono's back or whatever. He's handing out pins about Mono and all this shit. So, yeah, I heard a lot of separation when I was listening to these mixes with the earbuds. But then when I went to listen on vinyl with stereo speakers here in the living room, it sounded less separated. It sounded like just nice and big and spacious. Awesome. This is the only way to hear the album going forward. Anybody who tells you, well, when I heard it in the original pressing, yeah, I, I live with the original pressing for a long time. I get it. I wasn't alive for it, but I understand it. Sometimes things get better with time and they've, uh, his son helped make this album better with time. I think we can make this canon for George Harrison's most classic album. 
Nice, man. Nice. Yeah. Well, we have gone track by track in the past on our All Things Must Pass 50th anniversary celebration last December. So we did do the deep dish on this, but let's go through those three LPs and uh, yeah, let's just go through them. Wait, are you telling me you want to go through the three LPs? Can you clarify? (laughs) Well, there's eight of them. We've got day one demos and day two demos and then the party record, they call it, which is like studio outtakes. We'll do that in part two. Part one, let's go through the three LPs that were the six sides that were released as is. After this, watch out for the all new laughs when Check It Out checks in for its third season. Great! Terrific! Right on. Followed by Sanchez of Bel Air. I like it. It's the funniest hour of original comedy on cable. Be there, fool! Premiering Sunday at 5 on USA. So obviously kicks off with I'd have you anytime. I mean, uh, you know, uh, this is an opener. Every time I put this record on, I have the instant reminder of like, oh, my God, what a great way to open a record. It's just it's it's like languid without being boring. It's just a beautiful entry into this journey. You're about oh. <laughs> accidents, I swear to God. But uh, yeah, so I've always loved this track. And in this case. I believe it's more open. It's certainly bassier. It's fuller than any other version. George's vocals right away do sound a little despectorized. They're way more prominent. The drums and percussion you can hear more. The organs swell at the end. I mean, my, my first note here is this is the best way to listen to this. Let me in here. I know I've been here. I first heard this i think the mellow nature this is what i'm talking about when i very first heard this album the mellow nature of this song put me off because at that time i wanted to hear something with more energy i wasn't ready to be peaceful yet i was a kid you know what i mean i had all that like moron energy right had <laughs> come on man bully time The original track listing starts off with The Art of Dying, which has all that big, crazy disco energy had. And then the track listing goes all over the place. It's a very different track listing. I may have actually enjoyed it more at the age of whatever I was, 18, 19, whenever I first heard this record. That said, now that I'm mellow, TJ, and now that I've matured and now that I'm a businessman wearing this suit. Your suit looks great, sir. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're Vladimir and Mortimer in uh, Trading Places. What are the names? <laughs> Vladimir and Mortimer. What are the fucking names? I, I forget, but I had that on, uh, we, I taped that off of the television. Watch Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places, Saturday night at 9. The new classics are on TNT. The point is, 
I have come to appreciate this opening song. No, it, it definitely does. It sets the tone for this record. It actually, you know, you look at this album cover and here he is. Hardcore gardener. This is like hardcore gardening music, right? <laughs> TJ almost knocked over his entire setup getting the... Uh, <laughs> This thing book. is heavy, by I'm the gonna way. I'm going to sue Calderstone. <laughs> I'm going to sue Capital. <laughs> it is a hefty, this is a hefty, you know, package. I'm trying not to say the word package. <laughs> Three, four, ding dong, ding dong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We never finish. I'm impressed I remember the key change. <laughs> but like I mentioned earlier, and I don't know if I've held it up or not, but the the deluxe CD box set is gorgeous too, but the book feels like a pamphlet, like a brochure for a good university. Like in the <laughs> in the in the LP, it's like a book book. <laughs> yeah, I'd go to that university. Those gnomes look like they're getting great <laughs> education, relaxation. Said the laughing gnome. You're right, though. The vocals are definitely more prominent, especially I thought the double track, the harmony. And uh, yeah, as I was listening, I said, so far, so good. That takes us into My Sweet Lord, which has always sounded muddy. This song now on classic rock radio will sound so much better. This song always sounded muddy and and bassy. Not to be confused with the woman who's saying Goldfinger. <laughs> Surely. Right. You're, th you're talking about Count Bassy. <laughs> Even though you don't like when people sing and count. That's <laughs> right. We got, we got called out for not mentioning. There was one I didn't mention. One of our loyal listeners. Listeners called me out rightfully, and I forgot what it was. Oh, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a song called One, Two, Three, oh. Four, Five, Six, Seven, Eight, Nine, <laughs> and, and it was um, it's just a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. From Kansas City, that's the one oh, I left out. You yeah. just reminded me of that. There you go. Uh, yeah, great Paul Scream, <laughs> where he fused uh, two Little Richard songs together, I I believe. Um, but yeah, so My Sweet Lord uh, it has always sounded flat to me, whether it's on the original pressing All Things Must Pass, that best of George Harrison CD that came out around the same time. And I feel like now it just kind of sparkles. It clarifies it a bit the way like the remix of Instant Karma clarified that great song for me. I feel like... When George's vocals come in, you already know you're in for something really special. The organs never sounded clear. The I really want to see you, really want to be with you, the oh my lords that follow are have never been this clear. That uh, The two guitars, organ, and vocals have never sounded more separate but equal. The hallelujah vocals feel surround soundy even without... I, I don't have Dolby Atmos. I didn't hear the 5.1, and I'm sure that's amazing. I can't, I can't judge by that. Have you? Tony? No, no, no. I just got my two speakers and my two ears. That's yeah, all I got. That's all yeah. I got too. Uh, but point being, <laughs> I, I feel like the Hallelujahs felt like Dolby Atmos, even in normal two speaker. Like that's how great this was. This thing was breathtaking.
What I noticed was when I first listened to it with the earbuds in and the separation of the instruments, when the drums come in, they almost sound a little bit tentative because they it does come in just the snare drum or whatever, the drum kit, and then the tambourine eventually reinforces it. And it, to me, it felt like the song was kind of like rising out of bed when the drums kick in. Really want to see. Yes, they're getting simultaneously confident, like pushing the. Yes, I felt the same way. Yeah. But yeah, it's great to hear the song, as you say, you know, sparkling, brightened up, shimmering. It's it's cool. It deserves it. You know, lawsuit be damned. This song still deserves the shining treatment. And this is a, a quick personal note here. This was, you know, we lost my mom last year. This is my mother's favorite Beatle-related tune or two favorite Beatle-related songs yeah. were this and Hey Jude. And to hear it sound this good, I actually had a moment of thinking of my mom and thinking like, oh, I wish she could have heard, you know, yeah. like, you know, every Jewish son fears their mom will die before hearing Remastered My Sweet Lord. <laughs> it's a <laughs> cultural thing. <laughs> There's one other thing I want to mention about this that's related but unrelated. Hearing Billy Preston's organ sounds so good. I think one of my favorite moments from that concert for George is when Billy Preston sings lead vocal on this in the run yeah. out of the show. And he gets so into it that, like, I think he forgets coming in for the first I Really Want to See You. And he does this, <laughs> instead, he does this organ fill. My sweet Lord. That's just so beautiful and simple, but gospel, he's so into it, just makes me think like, because he covered this song. Uh, this song is a, obviously George Harrison's, one of his masterpieces, but it wouldn't be without Billy Preston. And yeah. I, I will always hear the song and think about Billy Preston. That performance in Concert for George is just joy, joy, joy. Well, one of my favorite remasters finally happened. I've been waiting for this one <laughs> forever. Wawa. Yes. Third song. <laughs> one of my favorite songs. One of my favorite just plain out George songs. There's something about this song, even though it's just simple. It was written the day he walked out of the Beatles, January 10th, 69. Curious how Disney's going to handle that one. He wrote this song. Uh, you're giving me a Wawa. We're thinking about the old times and what they used to be. And you made me a big star. But man, I... I now it's a headache and everything's changed. And uh, and I just love the music of the song. Somehow he's able to tap into that. It's a combination of sadness. It's bittersweet, right? It's sadness, but also this jubilant freedom of being broken free from this huge machine, the Beatles, that was kind of not letting him fully be himself. He was always, oh, we'll give you one or two songs. He has 30, man. <laughs> 
Yeah. And Danny Harrison summed up exactly what you said beautifully in the in the book where he said basically that the songs were an explosion of joy and pain simultaneously. Sunshine yeah. and rain. Pump it up. Joy <laughs> and pain. Remember that one? Is it Rob yeah. Bass? Yeah. Rob Bass? Did I make that up? Sunshine, Sunshine and rain. Rain, rain. Give it to Rob Bass. It's a great quote from Danny, and it's exactly what you said. Only George Harrison can write from a place with such sadness and sorrow with such joy and optimism. George took crap for one of my favorite songs of his uh, when he did all those years ago as a John Lennon tribute after he'd written it for Ringo. Ringo didn't want to sing it. Uh, there was a lot of criticism like, oh, George Harrison's doing an upbeat song about John Lennon. Like, it's it didn't feel somber or reverent. I thought just the opposite. I thought it was a tribute to John. It wasn't originally written as a tribute to John. It was that changed after John's murder. But my point is, like with that, George can take sorrow and make it upbeat and make it feel freeing and optimistic. It's part of yeah. the way he lived, right? That's kind of, that's what he practiced. It, it's what was behind, you know, saying to Clapton and Patty, you know, go ahead. I'm living in the now. I'm not living two steps behind me. And yeah, this is, it's the best moment on the, the record so far. It becomes a vocal song. His voice is made yes. so clear that it's like, finally. It's, yes, finally. It's like, it's, it is finally. a, Wawa is a vocal song and it's George's voice. One of my favorite versions is the concert from Bangladesh version. We covered yeah. this when we did the deep dish originally, but it's because of those singers, those background singers that are high in the mix. This is a this is a vocal song. It's a guitar song, but it's also a vocal song. And uh, I'm glad that you can finally hear the vocals. They still keep it true to the Spectre thing. Obviously, I don't know if the percussion or whatever was baked into the tracks with all that reverb on there, but you can definitely hear the shaker and the tambourine the tambo, the wall of tambo. And then the guitar solo is also clearer now to me. I finally really heard that guitar solo. I think earlier it had just been more like decoration and now I hear it. We'll get into this on our next episode when we do the bonus material, but you get an energized, despectorized take on this song in one of the bonus discs. So best of both yeah. worlds on this set. Yes, yes. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, that was my one thing about this record. I wish it had been more fully despectorized. I was look, I, maybe I was looking more for a rewrite of history since, I mean, that's what we're doing, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the new fad. <laughs> So, I mean, I felt like we've got the Spectre version. Like, let's not have the Spectre version. Let's have the cool ACDC Rick Rubin sounding dry version, you know, <laughs> where the drums sound like a fucking drum and not like a wash basin, you know, <laughs> <or whatever. laughs> the Rick Rubin jamboree. <laughs>
I like I, I love the production on this record. I'm just I'm shooting, you know, if I could have my druthers, I would love to hear the full band version without all the well, echo. Did, didn't reverb. you get the suit you're wearing at 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 uh, <laughs> didn't fuck me? <laughs> didn't you get the suit you're wearing at Drooks Druthers? <laughs> <laughs> it took me so long to figure it out. It took me so all right. Isn't it a pity version one? I mentioned that I have a scratch already on mine. I don't know how that happened. I must have carelessly been putting these in. Uh, who knows? It happens. Anyway, even with the scratch, I still like this. You can hear the vocals on the outro more, despite that scratch. Hey, does anyone else have a scratch? Maybe it's a defect. Maybe I can get a brand new disc one of Cancel Calderstone. <laughs> yeah. I almost feel like I can hear Ringo singing in the background, but that's probably my head in my head. There's a low voice. Is that George, those low voices? Or is that, I know Clapton and Bobby Whitlock helped out with harmonies here and there, but I don't think they mentioned it on this song. 51 years later, Bobby Whitlock wants credit for every harmony. <laughs> yeah, that, that YouTube like, clip he put out. <laughs> fuck you, Gary Wright. Suck a D, Dreamweaver. You didn't do shit. And according to Paul Hicks and Danny in the book, when they're talking about going through this song and the individual tracks, there's a bunch of like synth on it. They keep talking about synth yeah. counterpoints. Well, I mean, they have like the opening organ chord that begins on the five, that, that descending bit has never sounded clear, the acoustic guitar at the top, the emphasis on George's voice. You know what I wrote down for this one, Tony? This made me feel a bit, his voice is so clear on this that initially I had a moment of, it reminded me of that double fantasy stripped moment of hearing mm. the same take, but just everything stripped away. George's voice feels so prominent. Some things takes a long But how do I explain Not too many people Can see we're all the same And because of all the That first orchestral build before the second verse sounds nothing like we've heard in any other release, the orchestra. Um, the timpani and the orchestra build, all those fills. Yeah. This is this feels like a classical piece. Like you forget of all the double A-sided classic Beatles songs, this and my sweet lord were 45 together. Yeah. Now, as you flip the record over, oh yeah, what did you think of the labels on the records, TJ? With the Apple on them and all that. 
they're awesome because I didn't have the 2017 vinyl. I didn't buy that one. This is the first one I have that replicates the British pressing. All the rest have the kind of Apple, um, the U.S. Apple look to them. So it's cool as hell. Yeah, it is cool as hell. I like that. Yeah. And then on the Apple Jam labels, we also have like it looks like a container of uh, a jar of Apple Jam, like preserves and all that, that kind of jam. Well, Tony, those three, not with the separate sleeves, but those three came with all the original copies and even, I think, all the represses of this record. But what's cool is seeing the mock-up new versions of that theme for the bonus albums. That's what's so fun. Yeah, with the gnomes. Well, on side two, we have a few differences. Uh, well, it starts off with the big hit, What is Life? I felt like I could hear the orchestra more, especially on the fade out. No question. I've got that same note, Tony. Uh, my note is the string sounded never clear and not just the strings that double the riff and the chorus and the fade out. The strings entirely just sound so much clearer. That opening guitar riff and the opening vocal intro, that blew me away. Yeah. Never heard it like this. Not even in Goodfellas. <laughs> cover if not for you yeah I, I don't have a lot of notes on this one i mean overall i liked it better and i felt that it was clearer overall but also at the same time more separate this might have been when i was listening with the earbuds i felt like we were we were not getting back to mono we were moving ahead to stereo if not for you like this one really comes to life on this i wrote the original doesn't sound contemporary this one sounds a little more like like you could hear it now and this is the goal of this to put stuff on a playlist or on classic rock radio and have it blend in with other stuff that's been remixed but yeah. this is newer yeah i i i dig this yeah well this is obviously the country portion of the record it's i always thought this is a really curious part uh obviously it's him hanging out with the band and dylan and that vibe he was loving before having to go back to Twickenham and do the Beatles thing. This is where he was at. He wanted to, This is Pete Drake with uh, Behind That Locked Door getting into that Nashville sound. 
which is so cool and bizarre to me. And so George makes it sound authentic. A lot of that's Pete Drake's presence, but George never sound like sounds like he's aping a style. He sounds like he's like it's in it, like hanging out with the band really changed him. Oh, totally. And my note for this, I got to read you, Tony, is how can it get better? Most radical remix so far. OMG, George's vocal. Nice. I, f- I feel like this one has never, ever sounded like this before. I, I feel like certainly compared to that original CD issue, but even the other ones, this one just popped in a way that it never had before. Yeah. And I love the organ in the left channel. I'm a big fan yes. of the organ sound, man. So yeah. the more you can give me that, the better it is. I feel like Spectres, Spectres, his ghosts, that was my play on words, uh, <laughs> Spectres, Spectres, loom for uh, the next song, Let It Down. To me, you know, this is a big, big fat song. It's like <laughs> thundering down from wherever you are. It's coming. It sounds like a train. It sounds like a Mack truck. This is, I think, where Danny was saying he wanted to, you know, stay true to the original record. wrote how can this sound better than the 2014 remaster because that one's pretty great too Uh, it sounds great while listening it's the first time i heard this and thought it might not be his best composed song but no george harrison song sounds as badass and melodic and great as the major sevenths and by the way in in the peter jackson get back film the band loves this song john and paul (laughs) remark how but they can't wait to record it and take it seriously (laughs) thank you peter jackson (laughs) yep in fact, this version is going to be on the Let It Be record. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's why the Let It Be five LPs, uh, three of them are All Things Must Pass. <laughs> <laughs> I'll rebuy it. I'm a fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With just the Nagra tapes over them going like, good job, George, using AI. <laughs> yeah. Beep. Great song, George. <laughs> I hope we pass the audition. Beep. <laughs> Happy Christmas! <laughs> Happy Christmas! Well, the next song is one of my favorites. It closes uh, LP number one, Run of the Mill. I love this song. I can hear the words, the lyrics more clearly now. I'm not a lyrics guy, so I, I just like that I got to hear them. And this is one of the few songs that George even thought of as poetry. Quote, I like the words to run up the mill. It was the first song I ever wrote that looked like a poem on paper.
It's such a gorgeous song. And I mean, every song on it is good. There, there's one song that isn't A-plus George Harrison on this entire album, yeah. not including the Apple Jam uh, bonus. I'm going to call it a bonus disc because it kind of was. And this mix plays up the unique, lovely bombast because the song is a plaintive ballad that still has a little bit of bombast to it, too. So, yeah, I love this mix. I've always enjoyed the way this song is constructed. It To me, it sounds like he's starting the song in a stride, like he's walking down the street and then I always feel like he's he just jumped into a double Dutch jump rope for those lyrics. And then he hops yeah. back out like Sherman Hemsley in Amen or something. <laughs> Jumps into a double Dutch. <laughs> Getting out a whole nother LP, LP number two, side three. Another favorite, Beware of Darkness. Uh, eh, I'm going to buzz you, Tony, because if oh. you listen to this on cassette, side three begins with Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, Let It Roll. <laughs> the way it should have been. <laughs> Thanks, Dave Dexter. <laughs> no, of, of course, uh, you know, uh, Beware of Darkness. He's opening the album again with a mellow, plaintive yeah. kind of draw you in thing. And it works a second time. Anyone else does that? And it feels like a retread. We're already two sides in another song that's a little slow and mellow. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. Watch out now. Take always liked this song yeah uh, another one apple scruffs this is one that obviously was on the radio to me it's almost like the backing vocals are threatening to take the lead vocal on this yeah right that's that's a great <laughs> observation and the the harmonica the slices through i feel like in this version than any other version i've heard too apple scruffs apple scruffs how i love you how i love you Well, now we get to the ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp. And uh, did you notice this? I was noticing this uh, when I was listening with the earbuds, how the the low, the background vocal it dances from left to right. Did it, it do that in the original? It uh, yes, it did. Oh, okay. uh, ooh, wait a second. No, I cannot answer. I, I think it did. Yeah, I don't know. Offhand, I don't know. Maybe someone out there knows. But uh, to me, I, I quite enjoyed that. The 
the warmth of the opening of this, you can tell you're in for something special. Um, it, the the openings never sounded quite this nice. This is another weird song, Tony, because it's it's a weird song about a weird subject that's got almost a weird ghostly feel to it. And it's it just again, I'm a broken record. I'm an idiot, but it's never sounded better than it does here. Yeah, no, this is one of my favorites on this record. I've always liked it. And, you know, yeah, there's this story in there, I think, in the book. They mentioned how Phil's like, you know, if you change the words, this could be a hit. People will cover it. And he's like, yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> I want to make it about this specific guy. And, you know, those scrawls, those things that were all over Friar Park, he used that for several things. Ding dong, ding dong. Yeah. Uh, many other songs that I can't think of right now. Well, then we go on to Awaiting on You All. I just learned that this is recorded in Studio 2. So most of this record was recorded Studio 3 at Abbey Road, EMI. Studio 3 being the smaller of the studios. Studio 2 is one of the bigger ones. So it makes sense. This song's always sounded big and AM and the whole wall of sound. It's always sounded like a room full of like 50 people. You don't need a love list. You don't need a big pass. This is my favorite song on the album. It always has been. Is that uh, right? Yeah. I didn't know that. This song, and I, I mean, if I could choose, the Bangladesh version is is my favorite version of this. But this song yeah. in general, the the joy, I don't think George Harris never wrote a song with more joy than what's in this, you know, beautiful little song here. There's a horn pattern in the second verse. Bum, but um, bum, bum, but that kind of underscores the rhythm of the song that I always knew was there, but never heard it like that before. And I kept going back. You don't need no passport. You don't need no visa. That's the kind of stuff, because I don't know if there's anything as revelatory as, say, the whatever gets you through the night organ intro. There's nothing that's that, wait a minute, that couldn't have been there before. But this to me felt close. I, I just, such a gorgeous way to hear this tune. Yeah, it is a joyful number, man. <laughs> well, it closes with All Things Must Pass. Again, uh, the Beatles loved this song, as you know, and they covered it on Let It Be. It's going to be on Let It Be. <laughs> it probably, do you think it will be? It's got to be. Oh, I'm sure it'll be. Yeah, they, they have to play the yeah. run through that. But uh, yeah, here it sounds pristine. Again, you know, whatever. Unpopular opinion. This is not my favorite song on the record. Sunrise doesn't last all morning. The cloudburst doesn't last all day. Seems my love is up and has left you with no warning. It's all over.
it's like George's long and winding road where it is massively important, but you don't want to hear it all the time. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's just like, oh, pick it up just like five beats per minute. Just pick it up a little bit. It's just too slow for me, but sounds nice. I know we've talked about this before and pretty recently, but check out McCartney running it at that concert for George. It's just that's another neat moment, too. And the tempo is a little bit more brisk. We heard this one. This one came out as a teaser, I think, last fall. So this one sonically wasn't a, a, a surprise. That too. But the, the chorus explodes with a clarity that I've never heard in any other pressing of this. I love the note that George always heard LeVon Helms singing it in his head. And I think that might have influenced some of the languid pace of that. It's a little music from Big Pinky. Music uh. from Big Pinky is... <laughs> I've got cute nicknames for all my digits. <laughs> and all your, all your band records you give them. <laughs> cutesy names <laughs> big pinky the last waltzy <laughs> well then we get into what the i dig love right which is uh the most throwaway of the songs yeah this is the one and it's long you know i mean this, this the only song under that doesn't get an a plus or five fab I was listening to it today on the vinyl and I heard I love dick and I was like, oh, that's pretty woke, you know? Well, George also loved Dick Biondi, as you know. I mean, George would call it his show all the time. Well, no variants here. Nothing but the oldies. Magic 104. Dick Biondi for a while. Italian with the Beatles. I've not mentioned the 87 pressing in a while. The 1987 <laughs> pressing I wrote sounds like it's being played in your neighbor's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, little man. Did you ever Did you ever get into Shut Up, Little Man? Do you know what I'm talking about? It was. Um, I don't. It was this band, Thinking Fellers Union Local 282, and they had an apartment in San Francisco and they lived next to this these two men that would argue all the time loudly. And they started taping the arguments and it got around in tape circles and it became this <laughs> oh, no. thing. Yeah, there's a whole documentary about it. But before that, you, yeah, they put them out on CD. I used to have them. Shut up, little man. I got, to, I got a decent dinner ready. Nothing happened with the dinner because you crucified it. You ruined it. God damn you. Shut up, little man. Shut up, little man. <laughs> it's definitely from the same people who are like, hey, is this Joe Pine? Is this Joe Pine? Get off oh. my line. <laughs> The jerky boys. <laughs> <laughs> no, like the local LA version of the jerky boys. Oh. There's, like, there's like bootlegs of like local people calling in LA radio shows. <laughs> I'd like to hear that. My name is Dr. Rick Carlson, and I've written a book about your idol, Joe Pine. Joe Pine. Well, I'll tell you, he's, he's the guy. He and Tom Duggan originated uh, this kind of show. And you wrote a book about Joe? It's called The Truth About Red Joey. And I'd like to sell it, send you a copy. Red Joey? Yes. You aren't saying that Joe Pine was was uh, a communist? Well, of course he was. Then everybody... Get off my phone, you idiot. What do you mean? Get off my phone. How dare you say that about one of the greatest Americans that this country ever had? I love amateur, yeah. <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> amateur prank calls. <laughs> I, have, I have an album called Murphy's Greatest Bits with former Q101 morning oh, yeah. host Robert Murphy. 
like a promo right. record that is Murph the most, in the morning, Mur- right? M- Murphy in the morning. Murphy in the morning, right? Because my I remember dad, that. my dad's store was in the merchandise mart, so all of his clients were and the NBC people in Q101. And I got to go up and meet him, and I got an album. It is aged. It's so offensive. <laughs> like, I mean, the kind of morning radio comedy they did in 83, 84, 83, around that era, you can't do it anymore. <laughs> and it's a good thing, but I'm just saying. Good morning, Q101. Yeah, Murphy, in the morning, I yeah. got a stump for you. Okay, hot dog, let's hear it. All right. Uh, Speak up, sir, we can barely hear you. Yeah. What does the White House and... A clown named Ronald. What? A clown named Ronald is the answer to your joke. No, that's not it. Okay, start again. What does the White House and McDonald have in common? A clown named Ronald. Right. Okay, thank you. Excuse me, is something wrong with my hearing? (laughs) Moving on, the art of dying. Yeah, I love this. This seems to have less reverb. This is one that feels a little more cleaned up. What do you think? Well, this is one I read in the liner notes. I never knew, but in the in the vinyl version book, anyway, George wrote this for Mall Shaving Store Art of Shaving, and <laughs> I, I never knew that. And uh, that's one, one of those cool facts. So thank you to Danny and thank you to Mr. Paul Hicks. But I felt like I, I've always loved this. So I felt like this one just thunders. I wrote it's one of the absolute highlights of the set. This one kind of presages some of the jams that we're about to hear on on uh, Apple, Apple Jam. Jam. Yeah. Yeah, right. And it, it feels like a Derek of the Dominoes kind of run out. Like this song is just great. It's a thundering rock song. I dig it. I dig it. Now, did you catch on the lyric sheet? Uh, it's in the book. There'll come a time when all of us must leave here. Then nothing Mr. Epstein can do will keep me here with you. That was in the original like lyric sheet, Mr. Epstein. Pretty wow. interesting. Yeah, man. It's a fun one. Yeah, I didn't see that. So I'm glad you pointed that out. There's something in the fade out of this real quick. I was hoping Danny and Paul Hicks would have done like what they did with Dear Prudence and not faded out the final note. I kind of oh. wanted to hear the final, uh, uh, like, you can hear it, but it's faded so low. Oh, okay. Like, if I you listen say, closely. I, I did hear it. It's there, but like Dear Prudence in the 2018 remix, they keep it faded up a lot more than the originals. You finally get the, that last uh, D. So then we get to version two of Isn't It a Pity, which is obviously lovely, but as we talked about in our deep dishes, far from essential. Yeah, I still think there's other songs that could have gone on here. I get it. I do get it. It's his record and let him do it. Let him do it, man. This is his revolution number nine. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to go that far. Hot take. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Went too far. No, I don't think that. But you know what I mean? Like there are so many other songs that could have gone on here. Uh, I do prefer this version, version two. But that said, I still don't know why there's two versions. 
I don't know why there was two virgins, Tetragrammaton's <laughs> new John Lennon photos. Um, yeah, uh, we can we can move on to Hear Me Lord, which the intro for this is another one when you hear the drum and piano building where you know you're in for something special. That, that opening uh, passage has never been this powerful. Yeah, this song will always remind me of Neil Young's words in between the line of age. I think that's what that song's called. I always have a hard time remembering that song title, but that repetitive quality and that there's something about it. And obviously the Neil Young song came out two years after this, so it's not inspired by that, but that's how I hear things. And it only came out in audio device you can't afford and don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, Tweezer, whatever that is, Queezer. <laughs> uh, sure love Tweezer's cover of Africa. Everyone needed that. <laughs> And of course, we end with Apple Jam. It's uh, the most necessary. You got to hear it. You got to hear these remixed. Uh, no, I don't know. They're great. They're fine. Uh, it starts with Out of the Blue. One thing I noticed about it on the fade out, we're talking 11 minutes in <laughs> the production changes. It's like they the whatever the solid fill Spectre stuff just gets cut off and you get like 12 seconds of like, Oh, is this how the record could sound? Yeah, yeah, totally. Where they kind of <laughs> settles into a different groove. Um, yeah. Yeah, a couple things with this. You know, the 2001 remaster opened with its Johnny's birthday, and I always, I never understood why they made the switch there. Yeah, I don't either. Which is very strange. I want to say that was because George, that's originally how George had it or something in his head or something. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, Maybe. that, that, that might have been it. So it's kind of fun to hear it restored to the original order here. Also, Paul Hicks, for those who haven't bought it, actually the version he uses is the Debbie Gibson track from her 87 debut, Out of the Blue, which I listened to a lot of camp in 88. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> now, did you have electric youth perfume, TJ? Did you buy that for anybody? I did. I actually, when I got rid of the TV guides, I saved bottles of that. They're in a warehouse somewhere for when Debbie Gibson comes back. Um, I learned that Plug Me In was from a jam uh, during the Derek and the Domino session for their first single. Um, they were sharing Phil Spector as a producer, their first single, Tell the Truth, with Roll It Over. Um, so that's where Plug Me In came from. And then I remember Jeep was recorded in 69. Now, see, I didn't know this. That was recorded in Studio 2, March 29th, 1969. Technically, this is the first Plastic Ono Band recording, even though... That's right. Right? Even though John and Yoko weren't there, they were there for the mixing of it, but it played into the whole concept of anybody can be the Plastic Ono Band. You are here. I mean, it's, it's, that's what it is, you know? Yeah. In general, I do want to say, because, for example, Billy Preston's piano sound great here. And the remixes do help this. This has always been a throwaway disc, but it's it was nice to hear them sound this crisp. This is a major improvement over every other pressing. My, my note from earlier applies to this, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so this is George, Billy Preston, Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, and Klaus Vorman. Fun band. Fun band. Plastigono band. Um, and that's George playing the Moog, that, those little kooky stabs that were happening during the mix. They ran out of track, so they were laid on during the mix. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, thanks for the pepperoni. This was the song I was most happy to see in the book with the All Things Must Pass font. I love seeing thanks for the pepperoni <laughs> in that yes. font. By the way, that font, for all you font heads out there, it's Abbott Old Style, and it was created by Joseph W. Finney in 1902. Harry Carey used to drink, uh, <laughs> oh, I think that was his beer of choice. <laughs> Yeah, nothing quenches a Cub fan's thirst for victory quite like the king of beer. This is also from that Derek and the Domino session. Learn that one as well. Yeah, so I like at least learning the context of these jams and where they came from. That was cool for me. You know, they issued with a few of these, I think, isn't it a pity on uh, all things must pass. They have videos that they just made for this, oh. uh, like these beautifully illustrated videos. And for this one, they have the Noid attempting <laughs> to get all the Beatles on Abbey Road. <laughs> the pizza Noid? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> the Domino's pizza Noid. Thanks to the pepperoni. For those who don't remember, Domino's used thanks to the pepperoni briefly in 88. In the pizza delivery game, the Noid can zap ordinary pizzas. <laughs> Domino's Pizza delivers more than all the others combined. Well, we're going to have to do a two-parter where we cover off on the uh, day one and day two demos and the studio outtakes. Uh, anything else you want to say about this wonderful part one? I'm going to bet you $30 it becomes a three-parter. <laughs> the over-under the over at Vegas is two and a half on this. Casey, we owe you a drink. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll let you, uh, if I get a, a, a high score on Zaxxon, I'll let you play one of my players. That's uh, Zaxxon, George Harrison's opening tune on Revolver. <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. 